0: Good afternoon, folks. We are from Partick, Free Church of Scotland continuing, and we give you all a warm welcome to our open-air witness from Partick Station in the west end of Glasgow. As we said, we're a, a local congregation. We meet at Two Thornwood Terrace. That's up Dumbarton Road, and you'll come to the police station. Opposite the police station, there's a hill. Go up that hill, and you will first of all come to Thornwood Primary School. And we're next door at the crossroads, and we meet on the Lord's Day, and that's Sunday at 11 a.m., and again at 6 p.m., And we would give you all a warm welcome to come along where you might hear something more concerning the Christian gospel. And we also meet on Wednesday evening at 7.30 p.m. And again, likewise, we would extend a warm welcome to you all to come along and discover for yourself what Christianity is. Is all about. We recognize, friends, that today we live in a day and in an age when there is much error, much confusion, and much ignorance concerning the, the Christian gospel. Most people have heard something about the gospel, but without trying to embarrass anyone. I'm sure if I asked those who are passing by or those who are hearing today if they could tell us really what the Christian gospel is about, I doubt if you possibly could. And one reason for this ignorance is that by and large today, most of the population never attend a Christian place of worship. And even when people do attend a Christian place of worship, very often the gospel is not pro- proclaimed there. And therefore, we live in a time and in a day when there is much, much ignorance regarding Christ and the gospel. Well, this is one reason why we would come out this afternoon, as we have done on other occasions that we might be able to shed some light on what the Christian gospel is all about. What is the Christian gospel about then? Well, we would be wise if we direct our thoughts to the Bible and that we would take all our Christian teaching and doctrine from the Word of God. And there is one verse that I'd like to highlight with you this afternoon. It was written by the Apostle Paul. Now, the Apostle Paul at one time was a Pharisee. He was a deeply religious individual, and he lived his life as best as he could possibly do, and he was at one time a rejecter of Christ. And he was one who did persecute the Christian church. And when he was on his way to Damascus in order that he might take captive Christians from that city and bring them back to Jerusalem for punishment, he had an encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ. He met him on the Damascus road. And this strict Jew, this deeply religious person, was converted, and one who had been persecuting Christians became a preacher of the gospel. And he was writing to a young pastor in Ephesus, that's in modern-day Turkey, and he was writing to Timothy, who was having difficulties and problems in the pastoral ministry. And something that he said to Timothy is very apt and very appropriate for us this afternoon. He said in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15, you'll find this in your Bibles, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom... I am chief." And there we have something that describes the Christian gospel. This is a faithful saying. Here we have truth, and this is sadly lacking in our society today. Truth, where will you find it? You won't find it in the print media. You won't find it online. You won't find it in our TV screens. You won't find it in the media generally. You won't find it amongst the politicians. Where will you find truth? Well, you'll find it, friends, in God's Word, the Bible. And this Word is not my Word. It's not the Word that belongs to the church. It is the Word of God that God has given to mankind. He has revealed His will for us, and He has communicated unto us a message. And the Apostle Paul is reminding Timothy with all his difficulties in the pastorate at Ephesus, this is a faithful saying. This is a true saying. This is something worthy of your consideration. And this is something that you are to pass on to others. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation. This is something that every one of us is to accept. And what are we to accept? Well, we have it in the verse that Christ Jesus came into the world. Christ Jesus, Christ the anointed one, the Messiah. He came into this world. Now, who is Jesus? Who is the Lord Jesus Christ? Well, as you know, at this time of the year, many people will celebrate in various ways the coming and the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. But there's something for us to realize that makes Christ absolutely unique. He is the eternally begotten Son of God. And what that simply means to you and I this afternoon is that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And therefore, He is eternal. And the Bible even goes on to acknowledge that He is the Creator. There is none like the Lord Jesus Christ. But He came to this world. He became a man. He took upon Himself our form and our nature. That's why He came, that Christ Jesus came into the world. And here is the marvel. Here is the splendor of this person. This person, who is the only begotten Son of God, He became a man, truly a wonderful miracle, a miracle that we cannot understand, but we believe. The incarnation truly is something mysterious, for he was conceived in the womb of the Virgin Mary by a miraculous operation of God the Holy Spirit whereby the Son of God became the Son of Man. That Christ Jesus came into the world. You and I will come into the world by ordinary generation. There is no need for me to elaborate how that came about. You know all about it. But the Lord Jesus Christ came into this world by extraordinary generation. His birth Or his conception was absolutely unique. And it was unique, friends, because he did not inherit original sin. And that's why he came into the world to save sinners. If he had come into the world the same way as you and I come into this world, he himself would be a sinner And he would need someone to save him. But that's not the case. He did not inherit original sin. He was conceived in the womb of the Virgin Mary by a miraculous operation of God the Holy Spirit, which guaranteed that he did not have a sinful nature. And that's why he was able to come into this world to save sinners. Here then, friends, we have the very essence, or you might like to say the very heartbeat of the Christian gospel. The Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came from heaven. He took upon Himself our form and our nature. He became just like us, sin only accepted in order that He would be able to save sinners. Now, You may well be saying to yourself, well, that's fine, but how does it impact upon my life? What has that got to do with me that happened 2,000 years ago? Well, he came into the world to save sinners. Who are the sinners that he came to save? Friends, there's something we must realize and something that we must take on board And something that we must be taught of God to realize. But the Bible tells us that we're all sinners. Read your Bibles. You'll find this throughout the Scriptures. The Scriptures say, there is none righteous, no, not one. To be righteous means to be able to stand before God uncondemned. Well, the Bible says there there are none righteous. There are no righteous people in this world. On another occasion, in Romans chapter 3, verse 23, here the Apostle Paul is outlining the Christian gospel to the Romans, and he's telling them, For there is no difference, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There we have it in a very clear, simple verse. There is no difference. It doesn't matter where we've come from. It doesn't matter our upbringing or our background. It doesn't matter about our education. It doesn't matter about our financial status. It matters nothing about these things. But it tells us, for there is no difference, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Therefore, the Lord Jesus Christ has come into this world to save sinners like you and I. That's what he's come to do. That's his great purpose. That was his great mission. That's why he left the wonder and the glory and the peace and the felicity of heaven and took upon himself our form and nature, became just like us, lived in poverty for so many years, exercised a public ministry for about three years, and then ultimately he was crucified and rejected by his people, and he was put on a cross. And it was all part of God's wonderful plan of redemption in order to save a people for himself. And we bless God that Jesus Christ did indeed come And that he did indeed do all that was required in order to work out a salvation whereby sinners could be reconciled to God. And that's why the Apostle Paul is able to say, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And he goes on to say something quite remarkable, of whom... I am the chief, of whom I am the chief. Now, this was the great Apostle Paul. This was the person who was probably the most exercised and sincere Christian that ever lived. But when he wrote this, he said, Into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the chief. Does this not encourage us then to realize that if the chief of sinners, Paul himself, has been saved, therefore surely we can be saved. And surely this is again the very essence and the very heart of the Christian gospel. He has not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And therefore, this is what we need to understand before we will ever come to the Lord Jesus, before He will ever become precious to us, we must realize that before God, we are sinners. Now, you might think, well, that's not a great problem. If every one of us are sinners, then what about it? Surely it makes no difference. But it does, because God is a holy God. What does that mean? Well, God is absolutely pure. And God lives in light and approachable. And this is telling us about the purity of God. And God has a controversy with sinners. And God cannot dwell with sinners. And God cannot have any kind of fellowship with sinners. And therefore, there's a great gulf between our Creator, God, and ourselves because of our sin. And something must be done about it in order to be reconciled to God. Now, we cannot do this ourselves. There is no way that we can get ourselves right with God. We cannot work our way to heaven. We cannot win the favor of God by doing things or by saying things or by giving things. That's impossible. It doesn't please God. The Bible says that all, all our good works are but filthy rags in the sight of God. And therefore, there is, a, there is a great problem between mankind, sinful mankind, and a holy God. But again, we go to this verse, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And therefore, he did something about our greatest problem. What did he do? Well, he lived a perfect life. Absolutely perfect. Never sinned. Never sinned in thought. Never sinned in what he spoke. Never sinned in all his actions. All the time that he lived upon this earth... He did not sin. He could not sin. And at the end of his life, he gave himself up as a sacrifice. Why did he do that? He did that in order to pay the penalty for mankind's sin. You see, sin is an exceedingly serious matter. It is offensive unto God. And the penalty for sin is, is death. That's why it says in Romans chapter 6, verse 23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. We all like to get our wages. If you work You get your wages maybe at the end of the week or every fortnight or every month or maybe even every day. It depends on the kind of job that you have. But you look forward to getting your wages. You've worked for it and you deserve it. And you might say, well, I could do with some more. But whatever. You always want to have your wages. Well, what does the Bible say about sin? The wages of sin is death. That's what sin deserves. It deserves death in the sight of God. It's such a serious thing because it is offensive unto Him. And ultimately, when we sin, we sin against a holy and infinite God. And therefore, we see something of the seriousness of sin. But that's why Jesus went to the cross, because he paid the penalty. He offered up himself, his perfect life, as a sacrifice. He wasn't compelled, he wasn't forced. Yes, we know that wicked men put him on the cross, but ultimately it was all part of God's plan. And he went to the cross willingly in order there that he might be punished, and he was punished. We know that he suffered a terrible death, for crucifixion indeed was a terrible death. It was a death that was reserved for the most vilest of of criminals, the very offscoring of the world. Those who had committed the worst crimes were subjected to the death of crucifixion. And that's what Jesus went and undertook on behalf of others. But more than the physical pain, and indeed the physical pain would have been enormous, he suffered spiritual pain. What do we mean by that? Well, quite simply, what we mean is God was punishing him, God was laying upon him the sins of his people, and he was becoming a sin bearer. And he suffered the pains of hell. That's what Jesus voluntarily, willingly undertook on the cross on behalf of others he suffered in order that his people might be set free. And this is the great good news of the Christian gospel to you this afternoon in Partic Station, that you might know that your sins indeed can be dealt with and have been dealt with by the Son of God who gave up himself that once for all perfect sacrifice. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And as the Apostle Paul goes on to say, of whom I am chief. Well there, friends, there's a very brief and concise part of the Christian gospel to you. But it's wonderful to be able to tell you these things. But there is an application You have to do something. I've been telling you about the Son of God who came from heaven and did something on behalf of mankind. He stood in the room and place. He lived a perfect life. And He died a death in order to pay the penalty for sin. But you must do something in order that you might benefit from what Christ has done. You are to receive Him. You are to trust upon Him. You are to believe upon Him. You are to repent and to believe the gospel. That's what's required of you. It's all very well telling you about the person and the work of the Lord Jesus and what He has done. But it's over to you now. You must indeed respond. And what will, what will your response be to the Christian gospel? Will you be like the Jews who cried out, crucify him, crucify him. Or who said on another occasion, we will not have this man to reign over us. Sadly, that's what many people are saying today. That's why our churches are empty. And that's why people are not reading their Bibles. And that's why the fear of God is not in our nation today. Because basically they are rejecting Christ and his claims. But friends, it's imperative upon us that if we're going to be found in glory, that we must indeed have someone to save us. And who will that Savior be? The only Savior, friends, is the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the only God-appointed Savior. He's the one who alone has come from heaven. He alone has laid down His life. And therefore, we must receive Him. We must call upon this great and glorious Savior, And maybe you're wondering, well, will he save me? Will he save me? Well, he will save all who will come to him. All that the Father giveth me shall come to me, he said. He said confidently as he was proclaiming the gospel. All that the Father giveth me shall come to me. And here, what does he say? It's a wonderful promise afterwards. And him that cometh to me shall... I will in no wise cast out. Did you hear that? And him that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out. What a glorious, wonderful invitation even to the chief of sinners to come to the Lord Jesus Christ. And he has promised in his word, him that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out. Is that not a glorious invitation then on this cold Thursday afternoon outside Partick Station? Oh, that all sinners might come and avail themselves of what Christ has freely given them. Him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. Therefore we are to come to the Lord Jesus. We are not to let our past life keep us from following the Lord Jesus. You might think that Christ has only come to save religious people or to save do-gooders, you might say. Well, that's not the way at all. He has come to call sinners to repentance, those whose lives are upside down, those who have problem with sin. They are to come to the Lord Jesus. They are to come. They are to repent and to believe the gospel and to call upon him they are not to hold back him that cometh to me i will in no wise cast out what about your life then maybe you think your life is an obstacle maybe you think because of the life that you currently are living or the life that you have lived in the past will debar you from coming to the lord jesus that's not the case that's not the case he has come to call sinners And he's come to call sinners to repentance. And what does repentance mean? Well, repentance means to forsake our sins. Repentance means that we must stop committing our sins. That's what it means. And therefore, we are to leave our sins behind when we come to Christ. We are to leave our sins of fornication, or adultery, or incest, or paedophilia, or homosexuality. We're to leave our sins of greed and gluttony, of pride, of bitterness. We're to leave our sins of murder and lying and cheating. We're to leave all of these sins and every other sin behind. That's what repentance means. It means to turn over a new leaf. It means to walk in a new direction. And part of that repentance, friends, is to have a new view of the the Lord Jesus Christ. We are to call upon Him, and we are to recognize that our views of Christ beforehand were all wrong. And we are to recognize that He is the only begotten Son of God, and He is the God-appointed Savior who has come to save His people. And we are to leave our sins behind. Repent and believe the gospel. Repent and believe that Jesus Christ is indeed God's only begotten Son. The one who has come to seek and to save that which was lost. So where are you this afternoon then, friend? What's life all about for you this afternoon? Is it all about parties? Is it all about the festive season? Is it all about gratifying the lusts of the flesh? What's life all about? Well, you'll find the answers to these questions in the Word of God. And you need to take up the Word of God, and you need to begin to read the Word of God for yourself. For so many people rely on second-hand information. They say, well, the Bible's an old book it's out of date, it has nothing to say, but they've never read the Bible for themselves. They're simply listening to what other people have told them. Well, I want to tell you, friends, that the Bible is bang up to date. It tells us about contemporary issues. It tells us about the things that we need to know. It reveals unto us that that this world has been created by God, The first verse in the first book of the Bible, what does it say? In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. Now, we know that is at odds with what is taught in most of our schools today and in our places of higher education. We know well that there, the religion taught is evolution and creationism is looked upon as something ridiculous. But friends, I want to tell you that evolution is the most ridiculous, unscientific hoax that has ever been put before mankind. There is not a scrap of scientific evidence to support evolution. There's one simple basic scientific fact that is absolutely true, that is not true, of evolution. What is it? Well, the scientific fact is that nothing can come from nothing. Nothing can come from nothing, yet evolution teaches us that something has come from nothing it is nonsense. The Bible is true. The Bible tells us about this world. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. He spoke, and all that we see has been brought into being at His word and at His command. And we know that God created everything in six days. And the pinnacle of his creation was mankind. He made our first father, Adam, out of the dust. And he was made in the image of God, in knowledge, righteousness, and holiness. And afterwards, he made Eve out of Adam. And these two are our first parents and they were created perfectly. They were perfect. They were just like their Creator. And for a time, they had wonderful communion and fellowship with their Creator. But something happened. What was it that happened? Well, the evil one came and tempted Eve, Adam and Eve were given a simple command. They could eat from all the trees in the garden of Eden. But there was one tree, the fruit of which they could not eat. And it was the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And God was giving them a test to see if they would obey him, to see if they really loved him. Well, the evil one came and tempted Eve, She took the fruit, she ate it, and she gives some to her husband Adam, and he ate it, and therefore things changed. What changed? Well, sin came into the world. They disobeyed God. And this is, in in fact, what sin is. Sin is any want of or transgression of the law of God. And they're our first parents. They broke or they failed to keep the commandment that God had given to them. They disobeyed and they listened to God's enemy instead. And because of that, sin entered into the world. And since we've all come from Adam and Eve, we're all sinners. They, they changed, their relationship with God changed because of sin. In one sense, they died. They died spiritually. They no longer had that relationship that they had with the the Father before because of their sin. And since we have all come from Adam and Eve, therefore we have by nature a sinful nature. And because we have a sinful nature, that nature manifests itself and shows itself in sinful action but there is hope, and the hope is found in Jesus Christ who came into the world to save sinners, and as the Apostle Paul says, of whom I am the chief. We're going to take a short break. We'll resume shortly, but may the Lord bless His Word to you uh, this afternoon. Hello again. We're glad you're able to join us from for our open-air witness outside Partick Station on the west end of Glasgow. We are from a local congregation, Partick Free Church of Scotland continuing, and we meet at Two Thornwood Terrace. We meet on the Lord's Day at Sunday, 11 a.m., and again in the early evening at 6 p.m., and we also have a midweek meeting on Wednesday at 7.30. And we would extend a warm welcome to you in order that you might hear something more concerning the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, the Lord Jesus Christ has come to seek and to save that which was lost. He's come on a, a mercy mission. And we bless God for His coming among us and because of him and what he's done, we have a glorious and wonderful hope through grace. But, as we have tried to say on other occasions, we'll never really appreciate the Christian gospel or the Savior until we first come to terms with this sad reality that we are sinners. Now, we don't like to be told that, but... That's what the Bible would say to us. And we must take our teaching and our doctrine from the Word of God. And the Apostle Paul was keen to outline the Christian gospel that he proclaimed to the church in Rome before he would go and visit them. And in Romans chapter 3, He is outlining the sins of mankind. And he says a number of things about the natural man. And that's what we all are by nature. When we come out of the womb, we are described as natural men or women. And here the Apostle Paul is telling us what it is to be a a natural person. And he's outlining some of the characteristics that are found in every one of us by nature. He's not isolating any particular person. He's talking about all natural people. As we come out of the womb, this is what we're like. Let me give you one or two verses then from Romans chapter 3, beginning at verse 10. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth, there is none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way, they are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. And we'll carry on, but we want to stop for a moment and consider a word that keeps on coming up. In these three verses or four verses that I read, it's the word none. He says, there is none righteous. That's God's verdict upon every one of us by nature. We're not righteous. We're not righteous in His sight. Now, we may well be fine, upstanding citizens, and we may have no problem with the police or with the law courts. And the law of this world... And of this land has nothing to say against us. Our lives may well be exemplary. But that's not as far as God is concerned. And ultimately, it's God that will stand before on that great day of judgment. And He is telling us there is none righteous, no, not one. And therefore, all who are heeding this, whether by electronic means or even in uh, the station this afternoon, you're not righteous in the sight of God. He goes on, there is none that understandeth. Now we are in a time and a day when knowledge abounds. Our libraries are full of books. There is so much knowledge that goes around today We have universities and colleges and schools and, by and large, people are well educated. But here's God's verdict upon the natural man. There is none that understandeth. There is none that understandeth the way to get right with God. There is none that understands the great problem that is between God and man. As far as these things are concerned, The natural man does not understand these things at all. None that understandeth. There's another none. There is none that seeketh after God. Now we know that's true. Why is it so many of our churches are almost empty? And why is it so many of our churches have closed down? And they're now nightclubs or or bingo halls or even mosques, for instance. It's simply telling us quite clearly there is none that seeketh after God. Everyone is living their life as they see fit, and they live a life without any reference to God whatsoever. You get up in the morning, you never think of God. You eat your food, you never give thanks. For the air you breathe, for the water you drink, for the clothes that goes on your back, for the heat in your homes, for all the good things that God has lavished upon us, do we acknowledge God at all? No, the answer is we don't seek God at all. He's not in our thoughts. And if he's on our lips, if he's on our lips, it is usually because we are blaspheming. And it goes on. They are all gone out of the way. They are all together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. There is none who do good in the sight of God. Now we know there are many people who do charitable works. And in one sense, on a human level, these are good things. But not as far as God is concerned because they're not done with faith, and they're not done with God's glory in mind, and they're not done according to the law of God. And therefore, charitable good works, although they may well be good as far, from a human point of view, as far as God is concerned, they are not declared good in His sight. And that's why He says, There is none that doeth good, no, not one. And here we have a picture of mankind under sin. Mankind under sin. None righteous, none that understandeth, none that seeks after God, none that doeth good. This is all because of sin. And this is our great problem. And it's so great a problem, friends, that we cannot deal with it. It's beyond our resources, and what's more, we do not want to deal with it. We're happy as we are, but there's going to come a day of reckoning, because we're made in the image of God, and therefore we are accountable unto God. And the Bible tells us there's going to be a day of judgment. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. This is a day that none of us can avoid. You know, we can make appointments and appointments can be made for us, but we can usually change them. But this is one appointment that you and I cannot Change. For we must all appear. We must, because we're made in God's image. We must appear before his throne, and we must receive judgment according to the word of God, that everyone may receive the things done in his body. Now, friends, I want to ask you, are you preparing for that day when you will stand before King Jesus? You know, at this time, what is is this time of year? It is a festive season. And what is the kind of thoughts that occupy the minds of most people today? Is it not, well, life is short. Let us make the best of it. Let us be as happy as we can. Life is short, very uncertain. Then, therefore, let us make ourselves happy any way that we can. But surely there's another side Life is short, that is true. But eternity is very long. Eternity is eternity. We cannot measure eternity. And therefore, should we not give some time and some thought to eternity, if we are to be ones who adopt this attitude whereby that life is short, therefore let's make the best of it. Let us make as much money as we can Let us be as happy as we can for the short time that's around for us. Should we not be more concerned about eternity? Eternity that will last forever and forever and forever without end. And where will you spend eternity? Oh, this is a real thought. This is something to take home with us. This is something to ponder. Where am I going to spend eternity? Well, the Bible will give us answers to that question. You see, Jesus Christ has come to seek and to save that which was lost and to take those who will come to him to heaven, to be in heaven with him forever and ever and ever. That's what Christ has come to do. And friends, in eternity, we will be in one of two places. We will either be in heaven with the Lord Jesus Christ, with the angels, and with the people of God forever and forever, or we will be in that other place that the Bible calls hell. And the Bible describes that place as absolutely terrible, an absolutely terrible place, And therefore, you must consider this because there is no other place. There's no third option. It's either heaven or it's hell. Now, Jesus Christ has come. He has taken upon Himself to save a people and to suffer in their room and in their place. And those who come to Him, those who follow Him, those who believe upon Him, those who receive Him as Lord and Savior, they are assured of their place in heaven forever and forever. So where will you be then when that day comes? when we all pass, will pass into eternity, where will you be? Jesus said to his disciples, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that heareth my word, and believeth on him that sent me, hath everlasting life, and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. In other words, the Christian will know his sins are forgiven and he is reconciled to God and he is guaranteed of his place in heaven. He that heareth my word and believeth in him that sent me hath everlasting life. That's what Christ gives to those who will come to him and shall not come into condemnation. You see, friends, We're all under condemnation by nature, even now. But the moment that we trust upon the Lord Jesus, our sins are forgiven, and we're no longer in a state of condemnation. So how does it fare with you today then? What is your standing before the living God today? How do you fear? What hope have you got for eternity? Because we know, so then every one of us shall give account of himself to God. How will you fear on that dreadful day, that awesome day, when the Lord Jesus Christ shall return and he will be on his great white throne and we will all stand before him Well, for the Christian, what do we find in the Scriptures? There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. That's why we come out this afternoon that you might be introduced to this person. Because you are urged to put your hope and your trust upon this glorious person. But how can you possibly trust a person if you know nothing about him? And therefore we want to tell you about this person, about the Son of God who became the Son of Man, who came to this world and undertook and underwent a terrible death in order to save his people, in order to pay the price of their sins on Calvary's tree. And those who believe upon him, what do we find? There is therefore no there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. There's a great hope for the Christian. Why is there a great hope? Well, there's a great hope because the Lord Jesus has suffered and died in their room and in their place. And friends, we do not preach this afternoon ourselves. Instead, we preach someone who did suffer, who did die, who was buried, who was in the grave for a time, but who rose victorious over the grave. You know, he was taken down from the cross on the Friday. He was put into a sealed tomb, and there he remained until early on the first day of the week. But what happened on Sunday morning, early Sunday morning? What happened? He arose. He came out of the grave. Why? Because the grave could no longer hold the Lord Jesus Christ. And that would tell us that the work of Christ was accepted. For God would not raise an imposter. God would not raise a charlatan. He was the real thing. He was and is the only Savior, the only one that has the approval of heaven. He's the one who has come from heaven. And the fact that He rose again demonstrates that His work was acceptable. And more than that, we proclaim to you a Savior who lives forevermore. A Savior who cannot in any sense be touched by death again. He died once, but never again. And therefore, the Savior that we proclaim to you this afternoon is alive and alive forevermore. Isn't this not a glorious Savior? a one who is alive forevermore. And that's why the Apostle Paul is able to say, he is able to save to the uttermost those that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. You know, so many people think that Christianity is dull and Christianity is dead. Nothing can be further from the truth, my friends. Christianity is all about life. It's all about newness of life that's found in the Lord Jesus Christ. He himself did say in John chapter 10, I have come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. He has come to give us eternal life. He has come to an order to forgive our sins and to give us the gift of eternal life. And that life is only found in the Lord Jesus Christ and in Him alone. Then how can I have this, you're asking me? The only way you can have it, friends, is to run to the Lord Jesus. Is to call upon Him. Do not be slow. Do not be slack. You don't need a minister of the gospel. What you must do is cry out to Christ yourselves. And he will hear. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And therefore you are to call upon him even now in your flat Call upon Him. Call upon Him. He is near. He's near in the sense that the gospel is being proclaimed to you. A Savior is being commended unto you. A Savior who will save sinners to the uttermost. We're going to take a short break, but may the Lord bless His Word to you this afternoon. Good afternoon again. We're here from Partick, Free Church of Scotland continuing. And it's a privilege and a pleasure to be outside Partick Station this afternoon with a local congregation, a Scottish registered charity. We meet at Two Thornwood Terrace. Go up Dumbarton Road and you'll come to the police station on one side. Opposite the police station, go up the hill there. And you'll come, first of all, to Thornwood Primary School. Then you'll meet our building at the crossroads next door. And we meet on the Lord's Day Sunday at 11 and again at 6 p.m. And we also have a midweek meeting on Wednesday at 7.30. And you would be made most welcome to come along that you might hear something more. But we come out because, friends... Many of you, we suspect, don't go to any place of Christian worship. And therefore, you're not hearing the Word of God. And therefore, we want to come out that for a few moments, even for the time that you pass by, you might be exposed to something of the Christian gospel message. Because this message is vitally important for all of us. It's not just for one or two sections in the community is for us all. Why? Because we're all made in the image of God, and we're all accountable unto God, and we will stand before him one day and give account of what we have done with our lives. This is what the Bible calls the day of judgment. I know people will laugh and ridicule at the thought of a day of judgment, but The Bible teaches that, and we believe the Word of God, and that day will come. And how will you fare? How will you stand on that day? Remember, there'll be no highly paid lawyers or king's counselors who will be able to put up a good argument for you. You you will be there, and you'll meet face-to-face King Jesus and you'll give account of your life. Indeed, the Bible tells us that books will be opened, and we, we believe that's talking about our conscience, and our minds and our memories will be opened up, and the things that we've done in the past will all be revealed unto us, and we'll be judged according to the law of God. How have we fared in obeying the law of God? God has given us a law. That law is the Ten Commandments. Every one of us by nature have in some sense that law upon our hearts, but because of sin it's not as clear as it should be or as it was for our first parents. But God has given it to us in codified form. We have it in our Bibles, it's in the ten. It's, it is the Ten Commandments, and we are responsible to obey these commandments. We are to obey them perfectly. What is the first commandment? Thou shalt have no other gods before me. And that would tell us that we are to worship God and to worship God alone, and we are not to have other gods. And it's telling us that we are to make sure that our hearts and our affections are set upon the God who made us and formed us. I would put it to you this afternoon, respectively, that we fall far short of this commandment. The likelihood is that every one of us thinks so much more of ourselves than we do of Almighty God, even if we would just consider this day that we're living in at this time. When we get up in the morning, did we acknowledge God? Did we thank Him for rest and sleep? Did we thank Him that we slept peacefully and safely? Did we thank Him for our breakfast, for our tea and coffee? Did we thank Him for the air that we breathe, the water we drink? Did we thank Him for our food and clothing? Did we acknowledge that God is the one who has given us spouses, husbands, wives, children, grandchildren, a job, a home, and so on, the many blessings that He has lavished upon us? Have we considered that God is the one who has given us all these things? The likelihood is that we've never given it a second thought. More than likely, our thoughts revolve around ourselves or around our money, our possessions, the people that we love in this world, our occupations, our hobbies, our entertainments. More than likely, these are the things that have occupied our minds. And we have not given God a single thought in this world. You collect money, collections? No, no. Oh you don't? No, no. Oh that's a shame. No, no. You've got to give some money to the homeless people getting their lunch in the church. Oh sorry, no. We don't we don't have that kind of thing. Oh, sorry. Okay. Thank you, dear. <clears throat> so the first commandment. What is the first commandment? Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Second commandment, thou shalt not worship any graven image. You're to worship God the way that he has set down and prescribed. Third commandment, what is it? Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. Blasphemy is a terrible sin. We hear it continually. Even as we're here this afternoon, we hear it. People taking the Lord's name in vain. The Lord's name is special. It's to be treated with reverence, with respect. It's not to be used inappropriately. Yet we hear it daily, even from young children in the playground. Remember the Sabbath day, to keep it holy, is the fourth commandment. You know, God has given us six days in the week and one day for himself. Yet... Do we honour the Lord on the Sabbath day? Have we not taken that day for ourselves? Do we not work on that day? Do we not attend football and go to the garden centre and do our shopping and all kinds of entertainment on that day? It's the Lord's day. It's a holy day. If we don't keep that day, we've broken that commandment. Honour thy father and thy mother that thy days may be long upon the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee is the fifth commandment. Do we honour our parents? Do we give them the respect that is due to them? More than likely we don't. Today, in the world that we live in, many people will never give their parents the respect and honour that they deserve. Thou shalt not kill is another one the sixth commandment. How often is that commandment broken today? How many unborn are murdered in the womb? Abortion is a terrible sin. Thou shalt not kill. And abortion is a breach of that commandment. Yet in this so-called civilized society that we live in, We pay people in order to kill the unborn. Thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not commit adultery. How often is this sin broken? How often is this commandment broken in our society today? Sexual fulfillment is to be found in the marriage bond between one man and one woman, and any sexual activity committed outwith of the marriage bond is a breach of the seventh commandment thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not steal. That's not just simply going into the shop and stealing something. Many people will steal when they don't pay their tax. Various other ways in which you can steal. Many people steal from God. They don't give to God what belongs to Him. The Lord Jesus Christ said, Render unto Caesar the things that be Caesar's, and unto God the things that be God's. Many people steal from God today. A breach of the Eighth Commandment, Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not bear false witness. Truth is hard to find today. But we are to tell the truth, and nothing but the truth. Yet, truth has fallen in hard times. And thou shalt not covet, the Bible says, That's the Tenth Commandment. You're not to covet. You're not to go after things, the things of this world, and pursue them. And you're not to desire what other people have. You're to be content with what you have. Yet we live in a very covetous society. That's a brief look at the Ten Commandments. Friends, as we look at these commandments, we have to honestly say to ourselves that we have broken every single one of them. We cannot possibly keep them. They're too spiritual. They're too demanding. We cannot keep them because we are sinners. We're sinners by nature, and we're sinners by practice. And we have broken the commandments of God, and therefore we have a real problem because God is a holy God, and we are not. And there's a great gulf and a great contrast between us. And before a relationship can be restored, something must happen. We must have someone who can deal with our sins. And who is that person? That person is Jesus Christ, the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. That's what the prophet says. Come now, let us reason together. Let us come and acknowledge our guilt. Let us acknowledge our sin before a holy God. And let us avail ourselves of what Christ has done in our room and in our stead. Let us call upon His glorious name. Let us have him as our Lord and Savior. Here we are, friends, almost at the end of another year. And I'm sure you've said to yourself how quickly the year has passed. And as you seem to get older, is it not true that time seems to pass by very, very quickly? the end of the year. Where's it gone? Well, life is very brief. Death is certain. Sin is the problem. And Christ is the cure. And you might be hearing this today and you might be saying, well, I might consider the things that the preacher's saying on another occasion. I'll give it some thought. I'll ponder it. And maybe at a more convenient season, at a more convenient time, then I might well consider what the poor preacher is trying to impress upon me. Here's a verse for you. Boast not thyself of tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. You know, friends, time is very brief. Life is very brief we can be rushed into eternity at a moment's notice. Who knows about tomorrow? You don't know about tomorrow. I don't know about tomorrow. Today is the day of salvation. Now is the time to get right with God. The Bible tells the youngsters and the young people and the not-so-young people, Remember now thy Creator in the days of thy youth, while the evil days come not, nor the years draw nigh, when thou shalt say, I have no pleasure in them. Remember now thy Creator in the days of thy youth. Now's the time to come and to seek the Lord Jesus Christ Now's the time to avail yourself of the salvation that He has secured. That's why the psalmist says, teach us to number our days. Many people number their, their, their lifespan by years, but the Bible would tell us to teach us to number our days, that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. Many people are simply living the short life as best as they can, that they might enjoy it as best as they can. And they give no care or thought for eternity. This life is very short. Eternity is eternity. It lasts forever and forever. And where will you spend eternity? You know, the atheist would like to tell us that when you die, it's all over but that's not the case. And we know it's not the case. Christianity has proved it's not the case because Jesus died and Jesus was put in a tomb. But Jesus arose. And the very fact that He arose guarantees the resurrection of every single individual. And that will come one day. And therefore, we are to number our days. We are to realize that life is short and eternity is extremely long. And where will you spend eternity? That's the great matter. That's the great question. This is what we should be preparing for. Not for the festive season. Not for Hogmanay. Not for the New Year's Day. But for eternity. For that great judgment day that's coming. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body, according to that he had done, whether it be good or bad. And therefore the apostle Paul goes on to say, therefore, knowing the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. That's why we come out, friends, in order that we might walk in the footsteps of the apostle Paul himself and the and in some small way, that we might be instrumental in warning you to prepare for that great and awesome and terrible day. And the Bible warns us that life is short, whereas ye know not what shall be on the morrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. That's your life. And you can see it even now. There's an illustration here. You breathe, and what happens? The condensation comes out of your mouth, and it disappears. That's what your life is like. When you go and boil a kettle, the water boils. The steam comes out of the spout it rises up for a second or two and then it disappears. That's your life, the Bible's saying. What is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. We're here from Partick. We're going to draw our time to a close. It's been good to be with you this afternoon. I want to leave you with one verse. It's a verse from Ezekiel, from the prophet there. And he is telling the people the message that God wants to convey to them through the prophet. "'As I live, saith the Lord God, "'I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, "'but that the wicked turn from his way and live. "'Turn ye, turn ye from your evil ways, "'for why will ye die?' O house of Israel. There the prophet is telling them God would have them to repent. God would have them to forsake their sinful ways, to turn away from their sins, to turn away from their lying, turn away from from their idolatry, turn away from their immorality, turn away from their cheating, turn away from their stealing, turn away from their gossiping, Turn away from their lying. Turn away from their sins. Repentance, that's what he's calling out for. But that the wicked turn from his way and live. In the New Testament, we would say, repent and believe the gospel. Repent of your sins and turn and believe on Jesus Christ. Call upon him, take up the cross, and follow him. Whom to know is life everlasting. We're going to close. We're here from Partick. Free Church of Scotland continuing. And may the Lord be pleased to bless his word to you this afternoon.